This is a recording of a live Resolution Foundation event. We hope you find it some combination of interesting or entertaining. To read the research and access the event slides referenced in this episode, please visit the events section of our website. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Resolution Foundation uh, event and webinar. It has been a long week in British, it's not even a week, by the way, but it's been a long week-ish in British politics and economics. We've had massive tax cuts, we've had a massive market reaction, and yesterday we had a massive package of Bank of England emergency intervention. And on top of that, we've had a massive local radio round this morning, which has calmed markets as you would expect. Now, you've all probably, lots of you, I certainly have had my phone full of messages from a mixture of journalists asking about what on earth is going on on the policy side. Um, lots of friends asking what on earth is going on with their mortgages or with their pensions. Yesterday was the uh, novel development. Fewer, fewer of my friends have been texting and asking about the tax cuts, but that's because I made a terrible lifestyle choice and don't have enough friends with enough money to be getting large, large tax cuts, but we all can learn um, from that. So given all of that, we thought we should do an emergency event on the emergency budget and its aftermath. I'm going to give you a quick presentation running through what, some of what you know, probably, rough the big picture of what was in the event, what markets have done, but then really touching on what happens next insofar as anyone feels able to say. But what are the bits about what happens next that we feel more uh, confident about? Um, and then we've got some great speakers. You're going to hear from Stephanie Flanders, who's the head of Bloomberg Economics. And I was thinking back, I think Stephanie started as the economics head for the BBC in 2008. So you have managed the full set of economic crises uh, of this century, which is an impressive uh, collection. We are the winners. And then you're going to hear from Robert Colville, who's the director of the Centre for Policy Studies and uh, one of the co-authors of the 2019 Conservative uh, Manifesto. Robert can remind us how much of what happened on Friday was in that manifesto, but also can tell us what on earth is going to happen next. Robert, you are our politics expert, so hopefully you can predict all of the next two years uh, when we come to you. So that is the plan. I hope everyone is it. You know, you've all got responsibilities too, which is we will have questions. You can put them on Slido. It's hashtag Trussonomics, and we'll have some polls on there later. And those of you in the audience here at the Resolution Foundation offices can put your hands up or go on Slido because that's how liberal we are. Uh, so there's lots of choice involved. Okay, everyone happy? So let's get uh, let's get going. Let's do the simple bit first, which is what got, got announced. announced. I'm definitely not going to run through all the details. I point you towards the uh, Resolution Foundation publication on Saturday morning last week, which does run through what was announced and the details of the distribution analysis, what different areas of the country get out of what was announced. But the big picture is pretty clear, which is the largest tax cuts in five decades, £45 billion at the back end of the forecast period, so permanently a £45 billion giveaway made up principally of the cuts to reversing the rise in national insurance and promising not to go ahead with the rise in corporation tax next April. But on top of that, surprise tax cuts Obviously, the one getting the headlines is the um, removal of the 45 top rate of income tax. But, the, um, but this is really big. This is showing you all tax cuts or tax rises announced at fiscal events since the 70s. You'll see they go in definite phases. So if you've got loads of oil coming in, then you get to cut some taxes. That's what's going on in the 1980s and you're flogging stuff off. You'll notice that Gordon Brown would tended to be on the tax raising side. Those are the stealth taxes stealthing in through the... Uh, 2000s, and then you'll notice that Rishi Sunak likes putting up taxes a lot, which is the two big bars on the right-hand side going upwards. But that gives you the big pattern of tax changes in Britain over the last five 
decades. Now, you'll probably also know this. This is showing you the beneficiaries of the tax changes that are being implemented next year. So the, the, the ones that were confirmed last week and coming in next year, as you can see, it's overwhelmingly top-heavy. The top-heaviness is driven by the fact that these are all tax cuts to income taxes broadly. So even if you haven't cut the top rate of income tax, which is the red bar here, big giveaways to the very richest households on the right, poorest households on the left, but the, you would still have had a broadly regressive package because the reversal of the national insurance uh, or what was called the health and social care levy and the cut to the basic rate of income tax uh, get bigger as you go up the income distribution. But obviously, it's the top rate that does the really big stuff. You'll have seen the headlines, someone earning a million pounds. Anyone here earning a million pounds? Want to own up to it? They got a £55,000 uh, tax cut last week that will come into effect next year. £55,000, not just that year, but every single year, which is another reason why we should all be earning a million pounds. Although, enough inflation, we can get there. If we really try hard, everyone. Right. The... Um, uh, had we, sh we should note that the energy package, which was announced prior to last week, is a, has a much more even spread. So the middle, the bottom and the top all broadly get £2,000 from all the measures announced over the course of the last year to support households with energy bills. The energy price guarantee, the big new thing introduced by Liz Truss, again, broadly spread across the income distribution, slightly more at the top, but broadly it's even across the income distribution and will make a big difference to household budgets as we go into winter. If we hadn't had all the tax cuts last week, I think that is probably what we'd still be talking about as we ran into a Conservative conference. But we are where we are. Right. The, um, now, how is that all being paid for? This is showing you our estimate as markets stood on Friday. I'll come back to markets in a second. As they stood on Friday on what was going on on borrowing compared to what the OBR thought borrowing levels were going to be back in March was when we last had an official forecast. Um, and it's broadly showing what you'd expect. Loads of borrowing going on in the next few years. That's the energy support package. That isn't the bit that's mainly scaring and spooking markets because that's happening right around Europe in particular right now. Uh, looking at the right-hand side, though, this is where the issues come. Here you're seeing there's two things going on. The economy has got worse since last March, pushing up borrowing anyway at the back end of the period. That's almost all caused by higher debt interest payments. That's, almost all, that's what's really doing the work. A lot of the other stuff comes out in the wash. But basically, you've got higher debt interest payments even before last Friday. And then, and then you've got the £45 billion worth of tax policy. And the two together blow out by twice what we thought was the fiscal headroom at the back end of the period to have debt falling um, in 26, 27. You'll have heard rumours it was around £30 billion. So if you had £45 billion plus the £20 billion from debt interest payments, we blow it out twice over. Okay? And markets are looking at that and saying, you're not even trying to tell us how debt's going to be on a sustainable uh, basis going forward. And that is really what is going on. So how did markets uh, respond? You've probably all seen some of the headlines because it's been going now for quite a few uh, days. Not well is the big picture, obviously. The, um, uh, specifically, obviously, we've got two things happening. Uh, sterling falling. Now, obviously, sterling is falling particularly fast against the US dollar, but everybody's falling fast against the US dollar because the Fed keeps taking every opportunity to remind everyone that it's going to be whacking up interest rates as fast as it possibly can in the States, which is not what's happening in Europe as we basically wander into a recession caused by rising energy prices that are particularly rising in Europe but not as rising as fast in the US. So everyone's falling against the US dollar. That's the big red bar. But you'll see we've fallen particularly fast recently. And as you can see, we're also fallen significantly against the euro since last Friday. So there's big sterling moves that have evened out a bit recently. But, you know, these are really, really large movements. That isn't the thing you should mainly focus on. 
what's happening to interest rates is the most important thing that has happened since last last week. It's the most important for people and it's the most important for government in ways I'm going to come back to in a second. But lots of market movements. Now, I think sometimes if you're watching the news, particularly actually over the weekend, you would think, oh, yeah, there's a lot of mess happening in some buildings in London, what, these markets things, but this isn't a real world thing. So this is just to spell out how big a deal what is going on is for family finances, not just for financial markets. So on a trade weighted basis, so this is not about the dollar, everyone keeps tweeting me and saying this is a global thing, it's just about the dollar, stop doing it. Looking across the trade weighted, uh, i.e. balancing sterling's value against different currencies on the basis of who we actually trade with, which is what matters, sterling's down about 3%. That means for the third of our consumption that we import from abroad, it's more expensive. That will push up inflation by around 1%, that 3%. Yeah, and that basically knocks our living standards down by 1%. That's how you become poorer when your currency uh, depreciates. The, um, now, more specifically, probably, hands up in the room for people who have got mortgages. That's not, that's not, I mean, lots of you are either young and therefore lucky enough to be able to buy at the bottom of the market, and that's ahead of us, or old and lucky enough to have paid off your mortgage, in which case we don't want to hear about it. Those of you with mortgages, I'm afraid the next year is not going to be pretty. This is just giving you an example of that. So bank rates now expected to peak at around 6%, then fall back towards 4%. Let's not get into the minutiae of market movements, because 10-year rate rates up again this morning to back over 4 uh, percent. But just to give you an illustration, if we look at the typical mortgage um, uh, compared to what we thought it was going to be last December on forward rates now, then we're talking about £4,800 increase in the typical mortgage bill a year. That is big. That's the like, but that dwarfs for almost everybody any tax cuts they could possibly be receiving. And it means even if gas prices energy prices fall back, we've got a serious hit going on. Just to illustrate, obviously, that the increase in rates that you're seeing in the UK relative to last week is material within that context. We're showing you that £1,000 of that is just being driven by the change in rates since last, since the emergency budget on Friday. So these are, these are very big deals indeed. Now, those numbers will move around a lot as markets move around. We'll be updating these as we go. We'll do a big detailed publication next week on what's going to be happening to mortgages because they're the people that are going to be in the most acute distress. Now, obviously, lots of people will be on fixed-term mortgages, so this won't affect them in the short term, but 1.8 million households are going to be rolling off fixed rates onto new mortgages over the course of the next year. So it's those people uh, that are going to be worrying. All of those people that keep asking me, is it worth buying themselves out of their fixed uh, now and getting a new mortgage? Oh, my first answer is the Resolution Foundation is not registered for financial advice, so I don't offer any. The second one is it's way too late. Uh, the damage is uh, done, I'm afraid. The, um, right, what next? Now we get into the harder uh, stuff about what on earth is going to be um, going on. So I'm going to do the Bank of England, then I'm going to do the Treasury. Actually, the person that has got probably the hardest job to respond to what happened where the Chancellor announced his emergency budget is the Chancellor. So I'm going to start with the easy one, easy-ish. I'm sure it doesn't feel like that at the Bank of England right now, but the easy-ish bit, and then we're going to go to the hard bit, which is the Chancellor. So um, the Bank of England is going to be whacking up interest rates. This is showing you market expectations of interest rates, showing you, everyone remember August 21? Feels like a long time ago, only a year. Basically, apparently, we weren't going to get above 1% interest rates by the middle of this decade. Uh, by August this year, people had started to think, well, actually, the Bank of England's already raised rates quite a lot. Have you seen what's happening around the world? We're going to be hitting up to 3% before we come back down to 2%. 
there, there has been then a pricing in of people expecting quite a lot of fiscal loosening from the government. Uh, you'll have seen the leadership election over the summer. But there's also some global developments which mean people have, ex have been expecting rates to ra rise faster around the world. And the combination of the UK specific and that global trend is what gave you the, the solid red line, which is people thinking, OK, we're going to be hitting 5% as the peak next year, and then hopefully falling back. And then since last, last week, you see the jump up again, which is the, oh my god, this fiscal loosening is significantly bigger than we expected, and we're not really sure what is going on. Okay, So it isn't all about what happened last week, the really high interest rates we're seeing. When people's mortgages rise next year, they would have been rising even if the government hadn't done anything of what it did last year. But it's, a, it's an incremental increase on an already difficult uh, situation. The Monetary Policy Committee will be raising your interest rates on the 4th of uh, November. The quote here is from the Bank of England's chief economist, Hugh Pill, who was out and about on Monday, Tuesday. Tuesday this week and was not very subtle in what is about to happen. Obviously, exactly how big is very much open, but you know, we're talking about percentage plus probably in November. The, um, right, now, this is a bit complicated. The Bank of England wasn't just in the business of raising interest rates before we got on with this emergency budget. It had promised to start selling government bonds back into the market, unwinding QE, what we call quantitative tightening. This is showing you broadly what the plan had been in terms of running down the 800 billion plus stock of quantitative easing that the bank had built up. They were planning to sell around 80 billion pounds worth of those over the course of the next year. They still say they're definitely, definitely doing that. But obviously, you'll have noticed the gilt markets are a lot messier than they were a week ago. And, that, and so whether or not they actually go ahead with this quantitative tightening is, is material um, in that context. And anyway, even if they wanted to be selling government gilts, what's actually happened yesterday is that they've started buying them. The, uh, again, so that yesterday, having promised previously they were going to sell 80 billion over the course of the next year, they've now announced they're going to buy 65 billion of them roughly over the course of the next two weeks. And that is not being driven by the fact that they think inflation is too low and needs to be pepped up, which is what we normally do quantitative easing for, but is instead because we've seen this huge volatility in 30-year long-term um, gilt prices yesterday. And that, that is causing, I'm not going to go into all the weeds, we will be here all day, but it's causing significant problems for pension funds who are being forced to sell large amounts of gilts where they hold a lot they're the ones that hold lots of these long-term gilts they've been forced to sell lots of them because of the way in which they hedge against interest rate changes we can come back to this in the questions if anyone's really keen uh, but because of that the bank of England is stepping in to prevent them fire sales basically of those gilts they, um, uh, and that has then that's why you've seen long-term gilt prices fall back down significantly since the bank of england announced that at lunchtime yesterday I think you can believe that it's in the long term right to be tightening monetary policy, but also right for the Bank of England to be doing that yesterday. You don't need to be a conspiracy. I saw a lot of conspiracy theory stuff around yesterday. This is not the Bank of England bailing out the government. This is the Bank of England preventing market dysfunction, causing real problems for our pension funds. I think they're exactly right to do what they have uh, done, even if it is a disaster that we are having to do it. And that, that does reflect the economic policy failure of the last week. Right, Chancellor, the hard bit. The, um, this is obviously whoever the Chancellor is, yeah. but, but for the Chancellor in the short term. So the Chancellor came out on Monday and he said this, I promise you will get a medium term fiscal plan on the 23rd of November. You can tell it's serious because it's in capitals. There's going to be a medium term fiscal plan on the 23rd of November. The fiscal plan, capitals, will set out more details of the fiscal rules, but you get 
you get told what one of the fiscal rules is. We'll have debt falling as a share of GDP in the medium term. All political parties and all chancellors for the last two decades have thought you should be aiming to be debt, for debt to be falling. Markets, I think, broadly would endorse that as a reasonable fiscal rule. I'm not going to go into it today, but probably you would also be aiming to be balancing the current budget. There are reasons why that might actually be getting more difficult, um, as well as what I'm going to show you on debt. But let's focus on debt for the sake of simplicity this morning. So how big is the fiscal hole? Right, this is the most complicated of chart of today. So I'm just going to run through this. So back in March, focus on the left-hand side of the chart, first of all. Back in March, the government was forecast to be borrowing £32 billion in 26-27. I'm focusing on as far out in the forecast as I can because the Chancellor is going to be promising to balance the books at the furthest possible point in the future because otherwise this gets even harder. Okay, So 26-27, he was going to be borrowing £32 billion. As I told you a few slides back, the deterioration in the economy between March and September has raised that by about £23 billion, almost all debt interest payments. He's then whacked £45 billion worth of tax cuts on top of that. Uh, and then the change in interest rates combining the last two bars, the green and the red bars, which are the net effect of the rise in interest rates across the forward curve since last week, adds another £13 billion. So we've gone from a £32 billion forecast deficit to our best guess, £112 billion, but over £100 billion, even at the back end of the forecast period. That is the problem. Now, debt falling as a share of GDP, which is what he's telling us all to focus on, really matters what's happening to GDP. I'm, this is really annoying, I'm sorry, okay, but this is just how the maths works. Okay? So what I'm showing you on the right-hand side is that how fast the OBR is, in nominal terms, expecting the economy to grow in that year, 26-27, really matters for how much debt, how much borrowing you can have while having debt falling. Is everyone vaguely following me? Guy at the back is definitely not nodding here, though. Okay, I prefer your answer. Okay, so if the economy is growing roughly around where the OBR thought it would be back in March, around 3.5%, then you would need borrowing to be 74 billion or less to have debt falling. As I'm showing you, it's heading to be 112. On our slightly updated numbers, if you have a nominal GDP growth of around 3%, then you would need 60 billion or less, i.e. you've got a 50 billion hole. So if, if, if you ask us to say, what do we think is our best guess of the fiscal hole the Chancellor has to fill in uh, November, it's somewhere between 30 and 50 billion pounds. Okay, it's big. These are big numbers of what he needs to fill in. That is roughly, as I'll come on to in a second, the scale of the spending cuts proactively announced by George Osborne. The lower, lower end of that, the 35 billion, is, the, is what George Osborne announced in 2010 when he came in and said he had to stop us being Greece with a lot of spending cuts. So this is not small beer. These are big, big numbers. Now, Obviously, one thing the Chancellor could do is U-turn on some of that £45 billion worth of tax cuts. That would go down well broadly with markets. It would definitely go down well in terms of reducing the scale of that problem at the back end of the forecast period. He could say, I'll come back to you in the future about how we're going to do this, but I can't do it now. He's, they've been very clear they're not going to do that. The Prime Minister said that again this morning. So the result instead is you get a bit more George Osborne. So I know we were all going to be, the whole point of this was it's Reaganomics but it looks more like we're heading for Osborneomics in terms of where we are coming. As I say, the scale of it is Osborne or Osborne Plus if, you, if, you, if, you, if the OBR gives them a worryingly low nominal GDP forecast. Now, the question is, where does that all come from? But first, before you get to that, I think it's really important to focus on, again, there's a bit techie here, but the context is fixed budgets 
up to 24, 25. Okay, they've already fixed the budgets that departments are living with. You'll have saw Chris Phelps, the new Chief Secretary of the Treasury, has been out last night and this morning saying we're not changing those budgets, even though inflation is much higher than we expected when we set them back in the last autumn. This chart is helping you try to understand the scale of the inflation hit, the unexpected inflation hit to real government public service spending over the course of those years. So this is not about the cuts to come to fill that black hole. It's what's going to happen in the next few years that will be the benchmark at which we will then get further spending cuts announced. And broadly, to keep it simple, it's saying now the challenge we've got here is that we don't have a good measure of inflation for public service consumption. I promise you I'm not going to go into details, but CPI, the, what you buy isn't the same thing that people providing public services buy. The one we normally use, the GDP deflator, which is the price level for things produced in the UK, is also not a good metric because you will have noticed that schools and hospitals do actually use some gas. Okay, So it's not a, it's not a great metric either, but to provide them both for you here, what it's telling you is it's somewhere between 10-ish billion pounds worth of cuts and 32 billion pounds worth of cuts, real cuts, over the course of the next few years. That's already happening. That's just baked in from the inflation we've got being higher than we expected it to be last autumn. On top of that, to fill the fiscal hole we just talked about, the 35 to 50 billion pounds worth, what is going to happen? Uh, history says we're going to be cutting public sector net investment. That's what we always do. This is showing you public This is something gross investment, actually, but anyway. But... Don't worry about the big numbers in the 70s. That's what having a nationalised industries does. You do a lot of investing because you've got a lot of you've got a lot of plant to build. But if you look at what's happened since then, in the 90s, huge cuts to public sector investment. That's what happens after the 90s crash, because they, um, they didn't want to whack up taxes anymore, having been shouted at by the Labour Party for tax rises ad nauseum. That's why, anyone remember trying to get a train in the 90s? Didn't go very well for you. That's what happens with very low investment levels. And if you look what happened after the financial crisis, you get another dip down where George Osborne initially cut public sector net investment. But all of the recent Conservative leaders and chancellors have been keen to increase public sector investment actually to pretty high levels by historical norms. Boris Johnson made a big deal about heading for 3% of GDP on net investment. This is gross investment. The, um, anyway, say the Chancellor's looking at these numbers, doesn't want to cut nurses, which is what every other Chancellor in this situation has done. What he does is pencil in big cuts to public se sector investment in the medium term, because you don't have to announce what that is because nobody's there's no, no one gets fired. You just don't build train lines in future. This is showing that if we did that back to the long-term average of the last two decades, he would save around £25 billion. So there's big money to be saved. To state the blind and the obvious, that public sector investment is definitely more pro-growth than cutting corporation tax. Whatever your view, even if you believe cutting corporation tax is good for growth, there's an argument about that, uh, but even if you believe it's a, a reasonable estimate of what it could do for growth, this is definitely worse. They, this will definitely wipe out the benefit from the corporation tax cut. But I think, who knows if that will happen? History says that is what will, uh, what will happen. The Treasury definitely will be providing that option to the Chancellor in the next few weeks. Now, benefit up ratings. I know it's what everyone gets out of bed in the morning about, but this is really important. So high inflation means high benefit up ratings next April and the April after. If the government does nothing but sticks to current policy, benefits will rise by about 10% uh, this April and maybe about 8% next April. That's the biggest we've seen in a very, very, very long time, but it would keep it just flat in real terms. The Chancellor is going to be presented options by the Treasury that says, look, why don't you go out and argue that everyone's getting hit by these rising energy prices, we should share the burden fairly, let's just increase benefits in line with earnings, which are going up by about 6% this year, rather than prices, 
and that means that we'll permanently save money because the increase will be then lower increase will then set the baseline for future years. So this is showing you what that would roughly save. So if he only uprated benefits in line with earnings rather than prices, this April it would save around 11 billion. If he did it for two years, we're talking 20 billion. That roughly splits down as half on pensions and half on, which he may not do, and half on day-to-day -day benefits, universal credit for the working age population. So big savings, possibly, by making people the incomes poorer. This is showing you the scale of what that would do. Two year, two year going for earnings rather than inflation for a single parent with one child means they are taking home 600 pounds less in a year. And they're taking that less at home a year forever because that's a permanent cut, permanent saving, okay? The, um, right, let's wrap up and hear the answers from Stephanie and from Robert, who are going to tell us what on earth is actually going on. So the, it's been a really long week, you probably noticed. So I always haven't had much sleep. It will all be over at some point. The immediate price of lower taxes than we previously expected them to be, I'm not going to get into whether they're actually lower, but lower than we expected taxes to be is higher interest rates. And the Bank of England is now going to decide how much higher. And there is, there's a really big economic question here, which is the bank... You know, in the economic models, it says the bank can squeeze out all, will raise rates enough to squeeze out all of the extra demand from the fiscal impulse that has occurred. In the real world, there is a real question about whether the bank actually lets higher inflation and lower sterling take some of that strain. There's a straight trade-off. How much you raise rates, how far sterling falls. And I think we don't know what the balance of that is going to be. And that is a very big deal as we head uh, forward. And that's basically about how much pain households take today versus how much they take in future from those things. We're getting poorer either way, but it's about how we get poorer. The longer term price of higher, lower taxes is always, and lots of politicians, by the way, have said this, David Frost was out saying this yesterday, is just lower spending. That's the longer term price with lower taxes. The, um, the Chancellor's got eight weeks to work out how he's going to do that. Assuming he's not U-turning, we're talking about really big spending cuts. In general, history would say to us he will achieve that with a mixture of cuts to the net investment, some restrictions on welfare spending, and probably penciling in some slower growth in day-to-day -day, um, departmental public spending, which is due to grow roughly in line with GDP. So say he knocks that down by 0.5%, he'd get quite a few billion pounds to add to those ones I've shown you. So that is broadly what I think you should be expecting in the months ahead. The first, last thing to say is that this isn't all about last week. This was going to be difficult for whoever was in the Treasury and, the, uh, and number 10 this autumn and this winter, because economic policy making in advanced economies has got much di more difficult even over the last six months. Like, look at what's happening to some uh, to kilt markets right around the world. This is getting more complicated. The trade-offs in it are getting real. It's just that we've decided to make ourselves the poster child for those difficulties and to make those trade-offs much more acute, which is why this was a very, very silly thing to do. Over to you, Stephanie. Well, it's interesting. So I was... <coughs> I think I'm going to pick up on exactly where you ended because I do just to give some um, you know, before we rather than give the suggestion that this government just kind of came out of nowhere and did this madly crazy thing. I think it is worth saying um, a version of what you just said, which is you know every government around the world is facing actually two challenges over the next um, few years, and the only question is how fast those challenges are overcome, those adjustments are made, and with what consequences at the end for your credibility and for the economy. So that there's a, there's a short-term challenge, which is you trying to deal with inflation, but also help families through with the cost of living squeeze without causing a recession. 
you know, that is quite a different balancing act. You know, every every government in the world, to some extent, does have what people have been criticising the government for, this government for, in the last few days. You know, the Bank of England putting its foot on the brakes while the government's spending. That is inherent in this inflation uh, supply side inflation shock, and the long term challenge, which is almost certainly more important, is. We, governments and indeed households have to get ready for a world in which interest rates are higher. We don't know how much higher and for how much, how long, but we knew there was going to be a pretty big step change in the next 18 months, two years, from interest, money being basically free to sort of more normal numbers that not we free. might have got used to. <clears throat> Definitely not free and more in the sort of three, four, five, we don't know how much, but that is a massive Thing for everyone to get used to when we've all, every time we've renegotiated mortgages, the rate's been lower, give or take. Um, and certainly the government has sort of never had to, has not had to worry about that, has been able to massively increase its debt since the global financial crisis while paying less for it a year in absolute terms. So for that first challenge, the energy package, an energy package, very quickly after the Prime Minister came in, fine. Uh, and actually the financial markets swallowed it, even though there, it was inherently sort of uncosted. There was a sort of no limit to how much it might cost. And um, even though, uh, you know, it could have been better designed. And actually a growth package saying you were going to try <coughs> and get the economy on a much better trajectory than it's been on since the global financial crisis, <coughs> excuse me, also makes good sense in that context, because you want you need to show that you're getting ready for a world in which money is not free and bond markets are not very forgiving. But the crucial thing is you have to show you're aware of the trade-offs in all those challenges by targeting carefully, only helping people you really need to help. Um, so you're not needlessly making the Bank of England's job harder by costing it rigorously and by taking as much free money off the table as you can. So every government, at least across Europe, Governments who are giving a lot of money to households are also looking for ways to take money back, again, not to make the Bank of England's job any harder and to build up the inflation problem for the future. Um, they didn't do any of that. <laughs> there was no targeting, uh, no costing and no windfall tax. In fact, it's not even clear, and we've had this discussion in Bloomberg, it's not even clear um, that they will attempt to, co when they um, compensate energy producers for the impact of the cap. Yep. It's not even clear they're going to ask for a receipt and say, oh, by the way, how much did you actually pay for your energy? We're sort of pretending that you had to pay this gas, you know, you've been paying this wholesale gas price. Actually, a huge chunk of them will not have paid anything like that. Um, so that's not even a windfall tax. That's just appropriately compensating them as opposed to just randomly overcompensating them. So they haven't, it's possible that they will still do that, but they haven't made clear that they're going to do even that degree of targeting in the, in the, an attempt to, to take, to, to keep, um, you know, keep money uh, on the table, off the table. So in that contest, it was sort of, it was an ugly contest uh, with all these governments looking fragile and looking for difficult trade-offs. And we sort of went out of our way to win it Yep. Um, and also to sort of show we really didn't care about any of these um, challenges. Um, apart from that, it was fine. <laughs> apart from that, it's fine. I would say, listening to Liz Truss this morning and the Chief Secretary on the Today programme... Which local station did you hear? <laughs> Bristol, I heard Leeds. the replay. Actually, I heard it because I was making my debut on Good Morning Ulster. Were you? So okay. I heard it on Ulster Radio. Okay. Um, but 
it, they were all the same. <laughs> I think it's fair to say. Uh, but what was interesting, what I thought was really striking is it's one thing to not U-turn, but to not even accept that the plan is what has triggered most of these vulnerabilities seems to me missing a really important point. I mean, I just the, the, the unwillingness to admit, and the chief secretary was quite was just would kept falling back on the global volatility point. And I think even if you're going to say we're sticking to our guns, you have to make the intellectual case for what you're doing and explain to the market, say, I know you think you, you have, we see you've reacted to this. We think you've had the wrong reaction for these reasons. And here's how we're going to try and show you. We're going to show you, you know, rather than just gesturing towards supply side reforms, we're going to show you in detail what we're going to do. Um, and we are going to potentially bring forward some sense of the costing. So you will see we have done our homework. And I think to not even have got to the sort of first base on that, I think um, suggests, certainly for anyone in the markets, a sort of scary degree of um, uh, sort of bloody mindedness, that it's not very healthy in this kind of environment. Um, let me just highlight, I was impressed how far you went in your explanations about deflators and oh, right. spending. Okay. I now feel better. I'd like to apologise. I feel No, I feel better now for having actually told the world at one audience yesterday what the Bank of England did and why. Oh, right. And then there was a long pause, <laughs> um, which I won't attempt to do uh, now unless anyone yeah, is excited about liability-driven investment strategies. But people, I think people do there's... People look quite excited. <laughs> there is... Um, They're all perked up. There are them. hidden... There are hidden and not-so-hidden political vulnerabilities, which I'm sure Robert will talk about. You know, clearly... Their growth plan has made, as you pointed out, growth harder to achieve. Definitely. And the numbers with lower growth, the numbers don't um, look, even, look even tougher. And we've got sort of versions, Jamie Rush, our chief European economist is here, so he'll correct me, but we have, we have versions of the same calculations, more or less the same, actually a bit more in terms of the spending cuts. What's your, you even bigger cuts. What's your potential growth uh, got assumption? Three, if you've got 3% nominal growth, that's around what? That means like one point, one and a bit percent. Per yeah, OK, we're about there. So it's, uh, we think, yeah, 1.2. But if, of course, if the Office of Budget Responsibility sticks to its slightly higher view, yeah. which is still much lower than the Chancellor. The Chancellor thinks that you can get 2.5% growth, which now looks even more hard to achieve than before. Uh, I guess one of the interesting questions will be whether the OBR changes its estimate. I don't think anything's happened that would lead it to I change. I think there is zero chance of the OBR changing <laughs> its estimate of trend growth in November, but, roughly. So the slower growth, higher rates, obviously, um, the kind of important conservative uh, constituency of, of mortgage holders. Although, as we even established here, that is a smaller group than it used to be because people either own their own homes already or have not been able to get onto the um, housing ladder. Um, but also people with pension plans. And I think this is something you quite rightly said that interest rates were the more important story than sterling. But the, re the big massive story which still has not got enough attention, which is the flip side of the higher interest rates, is the collapse in the price of, of guilt. And it was... The Bank of England responded to the collapse in that particular bit of the market, which was, by the way, pretty crazy. Because, you know, 30-year bond is supposed to be the average interest rate for the next 30 yeah. years. Um, so the market was not functioning there. But it, everybody with any kind of defined benefit, sorry, defined contribution pension scheme, or an ISA for that matter, is quite likely to have a 60-40 
um, portfolio pot. That's what all the IFAs would tell you to, to get. And the 40%, which is bonds, has more, a lot of them will have gone down by a third since the start of the year. So an awful lot of conservative voters, people even who would, about, would have been about to retire. That's why no one should be looking at their pension pots but this right is, now. So, but that is, that, no, definitely don't look until the end of the year. <laughs> so I wouldn't recommend it. But <clears throat> that is not what people expect from bonds. They think bonds are safe and they hear higher interest rates and they think, oh, that's good for savers, which of course it is if you're making fresh savings. And good for DB pension funds. Yep. Good, well, and that's the, the irony of what happened yesterday is you had actually pension companies who will be better. One of the reasons they didn't this too, the, one of the reasons they do this complicated thing that involved them having to do margin calls, having to sell things, um, is they were trying to avoid holding those assets because they knew the price was going to fall. But and when in general, when the price of these bonds falls, that would indeed be good for them long term because they will then their future liabilities are worth uh, are worth less now or would mean less now. But I think that's something that as people realise, you know, they'll be for a particular conservative constituency, that is going to be pretty seismic when they look at these plans and see how much value has been stripped out of what they thought were safe savings. I guess the other thing to say, again, if they, if they really spell out and make credible their plan for changing the way the economy works and really shaking up industries, getting rid of sort of zombie firms and the sort of long tail of companies and making us all much more vibrant, um, there's going to be losers to that who will start to worry about their market positions. Uh, often potentially, uh, you know, conservative um, donors and others who will maybe, the more credible that growth plan is, the more scary it may be for some otherwise natural conservative supporters. And I would say, and the same thing obviously applies to planning reform, because people will start worrying about where you're going to start building next to me. Yes. So postponed retirements, <coughs> houses next door to me that I don't want, um, not being able, my my business suddenly losing its kind of cushy position in the market um, on top of lower growth and higher rates. It's a um, challenging time. It is challenging times. Thank you very much indeed, Stephanie. <laughs> and that is a good ending and starting on it was always it was always going to be challenging we're kind of choosing the nature of the challenge and the scale of it to and actually degree. i should say when you talk about the trade-off for the bank of england i would say remember the bank of england has been given and has been able to uh have a lot of a lot higher inflation and a lot more above target inflation over the last few years than most other central banks and that we've had enough they've had enough credibility to be able to say well we're going to let inflation over, exceed target but we're, you know, we're, going to carry, we're going to carry on with the project. They've managed to look through an awful lot of devaluation, depreciation of sterling. Um, I would say their credibility is now also at least at risk, and they may have less room for the trade-off that you were talking about. Yeah. They may have to do a bigger rate rise, not just because of the mechanical effect of what's happened in the last week, but because they have the market's going to give them less, less room. That is definitely a risk. Although the fact that sterling is falling and gilt prices are falling is partly telling us that the market thinks fiscal dominance is going to take this, like that inflation is going to take quite a lot of the strain and sterling. Otherwise, we'd be seeing sterling going but up. But that's the question of the credibility. They've if now you got really, to if they really now think that fiscal dominance, it, it, that the Bank of England is no longer independent, 
then then there's no floor to the pound potentially and yep. you start losing control of the market yep. of the narrative so that's why they have to start looking less coordinated in the other financial crisis yeah, you wanted to be coordinated with the treasury they have to look much less coordinated and yep. more independent okay we're going to find out in the next few months whether they manage that what is a very very difficult task right robert the um that certainly taken as a good overview of the economics what what is going on politics wise and what is going to happen Right. Well, um, the, the, the first thing to say is I, I feel I feel entirely vindicated because uh, when others were saying there's going to be a new barber boom, I said no, there's not going to be a new barber boom, and there is definitely there is definitely not, not going to be a barber boom. You are totally right. <laughs> um, no. Um, so this is obviously a slightly odd time um, yeah. for for, the, for those of us on the, on the centre right, not least because because in in in. in in specifics, there was a lot of good stuff in in the growth plan. We were sort of cheering it along on on Twitter because it had lots of stuff that we'd suggested. Um, but we weren't alone. The CBI was going yay. The FSB was going yay. You know, there was there was a lot of stuff in there which you know would would if if done in isolation have the effect of increasing growth, increasing investment, attracting talent. I mean, we, we can have the arguments about corporation yeah, sure. tax, but you know, there you know there, there was a there was a, a method to the madness. The, Problem and the, the other argument you can, you can make is that like not much of this was was unexpected. The the huge thing fiscally was the energy bills, uh, energy price guarantee. The um, the NI and the corporation tax stuff had been signalled in advance. The other stuff was was much much smaller in in, in And by the way, if if in a kind of counterfactual universe, the chancellor had been standing up now and saying, and by the way, I believe now is the time to massively whack up taxes on employment and raise tax on business by six points. Everyone, which you know, everyone would be going, what what the hell? Like instead. <coughs> The only overall tax burden. We've we've only gone back to like a couple of years years ago. We are still, you know, quite a high tax, quite high spend spend country. So, I think the what changed, as you, as you said, is it's the international environment. Um, it's the um, it's the sort of doubts that the, I think there were increasing doubts that the Bank of England had tightened quickly enough. But but I think also just the sort of general vibe, the, that sort of sense of. You know the the like that the briefing at the weekend that more tax cuts were coming the the, the, the sort of set, set, you know the the, sen the sense that the yeah that basically um, the, the the I think if you talk to people in, in government what they say is the, the sense that what was meant to be a long term structural reform package was taken as and in some ways sold as a fiscal sugar high. the like what they the, the bit they see as as big and important is the stuff that is kind of is the stuff that on the wiring and the plumbing of the economy, but everyone just saw something which looked looked quite different. And um, so, you know, there, there are things you can say in, in the government's defence, and actually quite a lot of things you can say in the government's defence. But in a way, that doesn't really matter. You can like the, the, it's the old rule. You know, you, you can't you can't buck the market, and you definitely can't say fuck the market. Um, which daytime I, show. Sorry, I'm uh, I'm I'm, I'm well, the stupid economy is the other. I'm I'm, I'm workshopping that one from that from one from my column, but I'm not okay. sure what their rules are on uh, the on, on swear words. <laughs> but um, so you know, so ob obviously the market reaction is something that you you have to respond to. And actually, as Stephanie was saying, I I think the the the, the view is that they need the, one of the best ways to do that is to, is to set out a lot more on the supply side stuff to show the, the 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 plumbing stuff that they're doing to show how they'll make Britain a more attractive place for business. But obviously, the events of the last few days make it harder to to reach their growth targets. You know, make it you know, if you're if you're thinking of investing in uh, making a big investment in Britain, has the last few days changed your plans well actually maybe they've changed your plans if you're saying oh suddenly it's devalued by 20 years devalued by x percent i you know i can snap up some bargains here that but that that but you know the idea of um like british firms will be 
racing out to, to make investments now amid this uncertainty is, you know, that's, that's as kind of William Hague said, you know, in the way that they did after the Lawson mm -hmm. did similar cuts. So I think, you know, it was a long, there's going to be a long grueling, re-establishing credibility is going to be very important. Showing you're working is going to be very important. Setting out a, setting out the path and, and the strategy is very important. Um, politically, though, um, you know, and, and, and by the way, also politically, it makes it harder to, to achieve this stuff because the, um, you know, Liz Truss already had quite a, she didn't win a majority of MPs, yep. um, although they were get, they were definitely giving her the benefit of doubt, and they were quite excited by having someone who'd actually say properly conservative things to Keir Starmer rather than just sort of changing the subject and talking about ping pong. Um, the sorry, um, I don't, I'm not sure he ever did quite that, but um, but the um, but but you know there are. As, as you say, you know, the, one of the reasons we haven't done quite a lot of the stuff which generates growth, which stuff which both the CPS and the Resolution Foundation would agree on, is because it creates losers, and it creates and it creates losers in the um, in the short term. Um, I mean, planning would be, a, would be a great example, but there's all sorts of other other things like you know if you're going to if you're going to electrify the nation, that means you have to build some more pylons. And turns out people don't like that pylons. You know, there's there's so there's 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 lot uh, you know child um, you know if you're going to if you're going to reform childcare, we have the most ridiculously expensive and overregulated childcare system in in Europe. But yet, as soon as you try to do something about it, everyone's going to say, "This is horrible. You're brutalising our children, the, the poor, the poor little darling." So you kind of say, "Yeah, but you know, Germany and Denmark, the, there's not a kind of epidemic of feral and abandoned children." But they, you know, that's that's just not the debate we we have. So anyway, there's there's lots of so all kind of all of that stuff has become that much harder. But my analysis for what it's worth is that they don't have a, they really have a choice now. You can't. I mean, I think you could U-turn on some elements of the of the tax. I mean, the the forty five p rate. Yeah, sure, top U-turns. I mean, so, so, so but that's the, that's the point. I, I think the you know the the key ones on the corporation tax and NI. I don't think you can can U-turn on. Um, but I, I think I think generally speaking, the um, on on the rest of it, you you, you could say you could you could say. And I'd break it, so I don't think they're going to do this. You, you could say, well, look, the, the income tax stuff, the 45 p stuff, that's, yeah, that's too much to swallow, but it, it's still a good thing. And, yeah. and by the way, the reason they could do 45p right, is because it's a really bad tax and doesn't hardly raise any revenue, which is why they could have you know, thought to throw it in. Although they probably should, they should have done thresholds and withdrawal of the personal allowance, but that's beside the point. Um, they, so I think you, know, you can you, you turn on some of this maybe, but not the core of it. I think they, could, you know, they, are, they have... They have burned the bridges. They've they made have, their bet. They have made their bet. You know, they, they, they have gambled on, on, on growth, and then they and they need need to need to deliver that. And the, the entire narrative, the entire kind of framing, is that we <coughs> we are going to be do we're going to do the, it's going we're going to do the difficult things because it's going to pay off. Yeah. And that's you know, and if you if you if you just U turn as as you guys said like that then. That's it. You're in, like the entire thing that you were there for. Your defining mission. Yep. You're you're like two weeks in, and you've gone. You've had the markets react badly to it, and gone. No, oh, well, never, never mind. No, so yeah. Okay. So I think they're going to try and get you know try and battle through as, as much as they can. But as I said, they do need to. I think they definitely need to like shoot. There are international factors, but this is obviously not just the result of what's happening in international markets. Great. Thank you, Robert. The, um, there's a lot there. Just quickly, um, you're presumably off to Birmingham. For Toy mm -hmm. Conference on yes. what is going to happen? Well, I made the point on Twitter uh, last night that, that in a that big, big, basically, I think I think because no one was turning up to listen to ministers speak, um, they've decided to try and sort of jazz up co Toy Conference by putting all of the ministers in a sort of in a block between four and six every day. 
Right. So, so rather than have a kind of a sequence of sort of half-empty halls with ministers making kind of conversation, they're going to have you know all of this, all the firepower concentrated. But that means that you're going to have this period from you know 8:30 a.m. till 4 p.m. where the, the nation's journalists are going to be in, in Birmingham, just wandering around, sort of grabbing random people, dropping in on fringe meetings, like looking for the thing which has the the people who are the most likely to criticise Liz Truss, and then eagerly reporting whatever they say. Um, the counterfactual. So is that not good? Then? That's probably not good. The counterfactual is that. Um, actually, quite a lot of MPs these days don't go to conference. It's quite expensive, and like the Rishi, the Rishi lot were already just going. You know what? Okay. So know. it might be a non-show. I mean, she's going to have to give a speech, though. Yes. Yep. And how's it going to be? Out of ten, how's the speech going to go? Well, ten. Obviously. Ten. Okay, Robert. I shall ask you. On having ha- having having sat in the audience for Theresa May's, um, you think better than that <laughs> thing? Like, yeah, there, there is def- there is definitely a flaw there. Okay, very good. Right now, we've got a problem, people, which is uh, I've never seen so many questions at an RF event, including ones about personal financial advice. The person that's getting divorced and wants to worry about measuring their pension funds, we will try to come back to you separately. Uh, so all I would say is vote on the ones you really want on Slido, and I'll try to bring those up at the top. But why don't we kick ourselves off? Uh, with a rather blunt one, which is house, house, house prices, Stephanie. Now, uh, the question is, is there any way they could prevent a housing crisis? Let's just translate a housing crisis as big falls in house prices in the next year. I mean, remember that there's, we've discussed this in, in, internally, I mean, that globally, a lot of assets have fallen in price as we, you know, assets have gone up in price, houses, everything else, because of interest rates being so low, because low <coughs> rates means when you look ahead at the income you're going to get from those assets, it's worth a lot more than if we're in a high interest rate. That's just about discount rate. Most other um, asset markets have adjusted to the idea that actually they're going to have to discount those profits at a higher rate and that we're no longer going to have this kind of 1-2% environment. Houses were the exception. So already looking under pressure. Uh, now with these extraordinary um, increases in mortgages or very rapid increases in, in mortgages, um, I think it's very hard to avoid a pretty big... Shall, we, shall I use the weasel word correction? Okay. She means a big crash. She means your house prices are coming down, people. That's what's going to be happening. But even, you know, the stamp duty cut, that's already been blown through by the The stamp duty cut increases. is tiny. It is tiny compared to what is going on. In the end, house prices are driven by... Average incomes plus interest rates. Average incomes ain't surging. Interest rates, you'll notice, are going up. In the end, it's hard to see. If it stays anything like at four percent on long-term rates, they've got to be coming down a lot. That, that, that's, that said, obviously, um, house prices in this country have gone utterly insane, and most people in the country want yeah. them to fall. So the, the, I think the, the question is whether we can manage to, to, to get a nice, gentle correction rather than a, a collapse. And, but, but if there is a big collapse, I think a, an absolutely cool thing, and this is a pet, um, pet thing that we've done a lot of work on, is um, we absolutely need to find ways to keep the house, house building going. Because what tends to happen, mm-hmm. and what's happened in every recession except for the pandemic, was um, recession happens, house building absolutely falls off a cliff, and because of the structure of the industry takes far, far longer to recover. It, it, housing, house building falls more, and the house building sector falls much more than the wider <coughs> economy and recovers much more slowly. So if we want to actually get some houses built, I think there might need to be some kind of support scheme for that. And actually, we've got some, we've got, you know, we, we published something on this literally when the pandemic happened because we were worried this would. Okay, very good. Now, on the, we're going to come back. I'm going to try to do Bank of England first. So, Stephanie, why don't you take this one, which is, okay, look, they've said they're going to get on with quantitative tightening. They promised this £80 million worth of sales this year after they finished the £65 billion of purchases. Um, is that a good idea? Well, first, let's do two chunks. Is that actually going to happen? So are they actually going to stick to £80 billion this year? 
while they're um, dealing with everything else, while guilt markets are being asked to suck up a lot of government issuance at the same time, like a lot? Or um, should, can they just sit on it for a bit? And if they can sit on it for a bit, maybe they can sit on it forever. I think it's, I mean, unfortunately, it's not, I don't think it's the decisive uh, factor. I mean, so they may or may not, sorry, the sounds of the bill, I, I think it's, they may end up not doing all of the quantitative tightening. They may do it on a slower path. We know that the balance sheet sort of in the end is going to be much bigger than it was, you know, pre-global financial crisis. Yep. But it's not, this isn't going it's to be the big. difference in terms of the, the where interest rates end up. And all it would do potentially is going back to what I was saying before about, you know, they get, they get choices by having credibility. If it's, if they go out of, if there are even more signs that we're moving to fiscal dominance and basically printing of money. I mean, if you keep that, you have just funded a lot of um, deficits over the years. Yeah. Um, so, so just to get concrete to the answer, if you do that and it's visible you're doing that. Sterling, also, by the way, the 800 billion up. is not worth 800 billion anymore. It's okay. worth quite a lot there. So we've got, I think, 200 billion losses already on the paper losses on what they're Okay, thanks for... Can, can I just say something, something very quickly on the Bank of England, which I didn't yeah. mean to mention? There is a, one of the risks which hasn't been mentioned, actually, is that we do over-tighten. Now, I know monetarism, monetarism is not very is not the flavour of the month these days, but if you look at M4, if you look at what's happening to the money supply, there's a good argument that we like inflation may come down more quickly than we than we think, especially if energy prices are, are also coming coming down. So there is actually a risk that we we we, we oversteer and, and uh, do ourselves uh, damage that way. Yeah, although the need to do well, the spending that, cuts would help. The spending cuts will help on that. The, um, there is actually a question along those lines here, which is if I can find it, referring to John Redwood, which is there are here we go. So we've got we've got. I'm using John Redwood here as the example, but we've got a group of people who are now rewriting history to say, definitely, if we'd we should have hiked interest rates massively last year, but we definitely shouldn't hike them uh, today. Now, these people, are, I don't know, let's not get into these people. Uh, Stephanie, what do we think? He's basically said he has. Yeah, I've struggled to understand the argument about. I can see why you would say you had to do it. They should have done it a year ago, but why that's an argument for not do it now? I'm slightly. I think. I think it's also just that these tend to be the same people rather than that there was a. Call. No, the funny thing is that the same people who said we should definitely. It's obvious, blindly right. obvious, we should yeah. definitely have hiked interest rates last year. Well, are looking at the market I mean, today and saying. Look, we the Federal should. Reserve, along with other people, but the Federal Reserve particularly, did make an enormous uh, forecasting error, and it was somewhat. It was sort of weird because they had actually. Um, given up relying on uh, their forecasts and they just said we're going to only respond when we see because it tried so hard for so long to get inflation they said we're going to wait till we actually see it we're not going to trust our forecasts but once they did see it they started trusting their forecasts again which was just weird um, and the Bank of England did a sort of version of that um, and Although much less uh, much, much less, less acutely. yeah much less acutely and so, there, so there, there was there was a mistake there, but I think then unfortunately all that means is, along with the Fed, along with other central banks, they're going to have to do more more quickly uh, in order to sort of restore credibility and that dread word, you know, get at least in line with the curve, if not ahead of the curve. So should we not listen to John Wibbert? I would listen to John Wibbert on many things, on but this? on this particular thing, I I don't think I agree. Yeah, if if we did this, Sterling will absolutely go through the floor. Well, we saw on Monday that even just, you know, a statement from the Bank of England saying we're going to stick to our guns and do what we need to do to bring down inflation was not enough. Um, And remember, you know, the the gilt market forces the tightening in the the long term interest rates, even if you're not doing the short end. Actually, let's explain that a bit, which is the Bank of England is setting short term -term interest rates. rates, bank rate. 
the overall the tightness of monetary policy or financial uh, monetary conditions are set by a whole load of other things and the markets are doing it because you can't get cheap lending. And, what, and the goal for the Bank of England is to have this period of high inflation be as short as possible so that it doesn't get stuck in our minds so we're not it's not affecting the yeah. world long into the future and you're very unlikely to do that if you if you're only seeing if you're not raising short-term interest rates and actually letting all the long-term interest rates go up. Well, well, take, well, I, I need to move us along because I want to make sure we get through with this one. 29 people want us to answer this question. So there's a long one. I don't think they like it because it's long, but it's basically a version, let's paraphrase slightly, of um, why won't politicians like take it? Why are we, why in a context which is already very difficult, did we take a gamble? Why aren't we like taking seriously that the UK was in is already in a difficult ish situation. We've seen slower growth than most of our comparators for 15 years. Uh, household income wages haven't grown for two decades now. Why aren't we harder headed about it rather than just rolling the dice? What do you think, Robert? Why have we rolled the dice? Well, the, because we've had decades of, of stagnant growth and, you know, we've been. So, the economy's bad, so something must be done. Well, yeah, we, you, well something, must, something must definitely be done. Okay. Um, but, I think, but I think, you know, it's. We're seeing a. Okay, let me rephrase that. Why do. Why say I? There was no need to do a budget with loads of tax cuts this quickly. There was no need to do one without a forecast. There was no need to do one without a plan for fiscal consolidation. There was no need to go out on Sunday and say there's more coming. Don't worry, markets. I'm going to cut taxes more. Like, there was just no need to do lots of this. Why do it? Because they wanted to hit the ground running. They wanted to land with a bang. How has that gone? They've landed with a bang. We've definitely landed with a bang. <laughs> but what, just to be fair, I don't know what the question actually has in mind. But on the like, so I, I remember saying last Thursday, I was looking at global markets. I was being asked at a select committee, like, what's going on? And I was like, I, even if you think all these tax cuts are a great idea, doing this with no fiscal sustainability plan set out is not a good idea. So you didn't need to be a genius to think that. Why not just go slower and less risky? I think because they've seen... Uh, well, they've seen Boris try to do things. They've seen they've seen people try to go slowly, and it all gets bogged down, and you get and it it, it, it didn't work. And I, th I think they just thought if we're going to do this, we have to do it. We, you know, we have to we have to do it now. We have to set out our stall, and we have to show that. Okay. You know. Okay. Now, um, next most popular question, I think. The, um, actually, there's lots about rejoining the single market, but we're not going to go into that today. I don't think the government's going to do it, people. Uh, the, um, <laughs> but let's do this one instead, which is how much will this actually matter on investment in the UK? So as Robert said earlier, investment, let's do, do different kinds of investment. So let's do foreigners buying our companies. And then very do, good for that. Very good for that. What about and British Houses. firms investing domestically? I think we've said we've said before. I mean, it, the, what, what matters most when you ask people, I think uh, um, all the surveys of, of businesses, what's the most important factor? I think Manoush Shafiq actually quoted this in an in a FT piece. Um, what's the most important factor for investing in a country? Actually, number one is the macroeconomic environment, the inv institutional stability, rule of law. At very low down the list, surprisingly low, I think it's sixth is you know the level of interest rates. So uh, this is both domestically and for even for foreign investors who are considering something sort of long term um, rather than just a bargain. Uh, this is you have to get this short term macro situation right before you think about anything else. Very good. Let, let's turn to um, the Treasury part of this a bit more explicitly, Robert. So on what's going to happen. So he's got eight weeks. The, um, why don't we, I mean, there's a question here that gets towards this, but take it forward a bit. So we know what the short term policy is, which is make a virtue out of sticking to the current 
targets. People need to, like public services need to suck up higher energy costs and higher wage bills than they're expecting, but that's make, we're all poorer. One of the ways we're poorer is that we have worse public services than we would otherwise have had, is basically what the Chief Secretary is saying this morning. But then take us forward. What's he actually going to, what do you think? So we've suggested two things he might come back with in, how is he going to, how is he going to balance the books in November? I mean, I, I think the, the, the things you suggested, as you say, there's a reason that that's what everyone's done in this situation. Although, I mean, I think politically, the idea of cutting taxes for the rich and, I mean, the, the 10% benefits rise, when we, even when, when he did it, was, it, did, it felt like, okay, that's punchy. So just to remind everyone, so Rishi, Rishi Sunak, the previous chancellor, committed to going ahead with the inflation-linked uprise in April, but the government is now no longer commenting, basically, on what the level of the uprating will be in April. So what do you think they will end up going lower than 10? Um, I, think they, I think they probably will end up going with 10. I think it'll still be a, a chunky raise, but I don't think... I mean, I, even, as I said, even at the time, it felt like that, uh, uh, basically they could have got away with doing, doing less. But as you said, the optics of doing that after just having a, bu a budget which was very... Well, it was a budget, which is very top heavy. Although, you know, once you put the energy support package in, as, mm -hmm. as, as you said, it does become a lot... A lot, a lot less dramatic. But the chief secretary, well, also I was a bit confused because actually what he said on today's programme is there were still real increases. As he just talking, he's harking back to they were prospectively real increases when the when the cash totals were announced. But he made the claim. He said yes, there's still that's, real that's increases. That's an important in the question. That's a very really important question. So the numbers we're showing there are showing. Uh, the amount, the lower public spending than it would otherwise have been in real terms because of the increase in inflation, some departments will still be seeing uh, some real rises over the even with years. This, even well, with on this their met, no, well, let's get, look what you've done. This is back to the GDP deflator <laughs> problem. If we use the GDP deflator, which is not a good measure of public services well, Especially because most of the inflation market, is coming from... Because of it's all foreign inflation. So basically, yes, if you use the wrong measure of inflation, he's right. <laughs> if you use the right measure of inflation... Oh, the next which few we can't years are going to be really fun. I know, we are going to try and solve this. Those of you that are really keen, we're going to try and write a paper on what is the right deflator to use. Everyone's gone to sleep. Stop it. Oh, I think we can have a race. Actually. This is quite I a big think, deal, people. I think people. we were thinking about the same thing. Look, someone's interested there. That's what we need. That is the kind of audience we need. But right, anyone in the room want to have their hand up for a question? Otherwise, I'm going to go, keep going down the list of... Right, there's two here. Let's take these two at once. And I'm going to keep going down the list. Mike's coming. Mike's, there's a mic coming. Give us your name, sir. One at the back first. Uh, hello, uh, Saad. Got a mic. Cheers. Uh, so uh, you did talk a bit about investment. And I was just wondering, uh, the Chancellor did say, if I remember correctly, that this will largely be paid by from the 2.5% growth target. How would we achieve that growth, basically? Do you have any thoughts on how we could achieve that growth in the current environment? Uh, OK, that's a very big question. And gentleman here, give us yeah. your name. Um, hi there, Stuart Watson from UCL. Um, in what crazy world is this maybe a mad Machiavellian plan that they throw the dice now and things can only get better and maybe inflation dissipates and just in time, the kind of casino rolling the dice, there is a bit of a recovery okay. towards the election. Okay, very good. The, um, anyone else want to come in? Because I'm going to go back to the internet office. Right, okay, let's do... so. Let, let's generalise Stuart's question a bit more because there's a number of versions of that out around at the moment which basically all collapse into... Is it a secret conspiracy? Is it actually really clever? And one of the lessons of British politics and economics Very of the last really two clever. decades <laughs> is that it is never a clever plan and <laughs> always a cock-up. There are no ninjas, there is no door. Yeah, exactly, I'm afraid. This is definitely not a cunning plan. I saw a load of mad people yesterday saying like, 
this is them supporting hedge funds by tanking the pound is definitely not. They weren't planning to tank the pound. They, um, yeah. I mean, the, I mean when, I'm sure when, some hedge funds when, have made a lot of money. Yeah, when, when, you're, when your cunning plan starts with the, with, with the opposition having an 100 seat majority on current polling, that's, that's not a cunning plan. That's not a cunning plan. Do you want to give any conspiracy you'd like to endorse? <laughs> <laughs> no, although we are at uh, Bloomberg, we are looking into uh, how many Tory donors would have, met, have uh, hedge funds um, oh, right. have, were betting against the pound before. Oh, right. okay. But that's not the conspiracy. That's just like, them making money like bandits. Yep. Um, the... I mean, on the two and a half percent, you know, if there was, it's a bit like the magic money tree, only much harder, actually. You know, if there was a magic growth tree that could just take us to two and a half percent, which, by the way, is not uh, a potential growth rate of any of the advanced developed economies at the moment. It would be a, it would be a stretch even further fast, potentially the US, but probably not. Um, if you really cranked up immigration you might be able to get that sort of gross growth, but obviously not on a per, not on a per head basis. Uh, what else could you do? I mean, I think short term, the potential for two and a half percent, maybe that is what they're thinking you could get just before the election if you had some kind of recovery. Um, but it, it's, it's quite a struggle. I mean, this is in, and the idea that the kind of really deep change in the way the economy works could be achieved in two or three or even four years, I think is, is implausible. Just to give one that's an additional thing. Massive falls in gas prices is like the most important thing in the short term. Like, why is Europe going into recession? Massive, massive rise in gas prices. That is the thing. Levels of taxation, different countries, individual stuff is all completely small fry. What happens to energy prices is the. So, so this is what I was going to say. There is actually there is a chance that this works purely through external factors. Like inflation in the UK basically tracks inflation in the Western world pretty much perfectly. Like we, you know, everything, you know, America coughs, everyone else catches a cold, but it also works the other way around. So if, if we have a mild winter, if gas prices come down, suddenly everything is looking, is looking a lot better. Um, the, um, on, on the, the <coughs> growth thing, I mean, I think actually you know, many of the things they want to do are, could, could be growth enhancing. Whether they get you to 2.5%, maybe not, but like planning reform, infrastructure reform, Investment zones, I think, do have a, a real potential. Um, investment incentives, generally, um, deregulation. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but we are we are staggeringly badly regulated. We've been doing a project at the CPS where we looked at every regulatory impact assessment for the last ten years, and my God, they're awful. Like it's yeah, there's there is there is stuff to do there. Okay, let's let's turn that back around into a question, which is so. Um, I think Liz Truss generally, leaving aside the tax cuts, actually Liz Truss generally has talked about when she says doing unpopular things to get growth, they're generally actually on the, the regulatory side. So let's go through planning reform and fracking as the two big ones. I, I don't know if you saw her getting what you might politely call mullered on, uh, on BBC Lincolnshire. Uh, and actually Lancashire as well. On, only, planning, only fracking with local consent though. Okay, so let's go through. Is any fracking going to happen? Is any planning reform going to happen? Um, I very much hope so on both. I also the, the thing I'm very happy. They're not about, hoping. What's going to happen? The, the thing I'm very happy about on them um, is um, onshore wind because I was yes. shouting and shouting and shouting about them at that, and they finally did it in the growth so plan. This, so this is that they've removed the bias against onshore wind in the consent system, which is definitely a welcome thing. But on both, two, is anything going to get fracked in the next four years, and will they pass any planning reform before 2024? If there are communities who want fracking, then it's going to happen. Are there any? And how is it, it going to be measured then? The consent. The reason she got, I don't know if you heard it, I think it's she couldn't answer how this consent would be consented. On investment zones, I think they've gone for like a, a council double lock. So you, yeah. so you, need, the, you need the parish and the county or the district <laughs> uh, and the county. I really hope you don't need the parish. <laughs> That's going to take some time. So not parish, yes. Sir. Okay, okay, very good. But, you, but that means we're probably not going to get much fracking. <laughs> 
I don't, I don't think it, I, I think it's a good Depends thing. I'd like it if it happened. It's not good. It's not the solution. Okay, very good. On its own. The um, now uh, someone has asked us what is comes close to therapy, basically, Stephanie. The um, uh, right. So here we are. I didn't see this one coming, but you know, you've all voted it. Well, four of you have. So taking a step back as high-profile figures. Well, that's you at least. Uh, uh, for advocating for particular economic policies, in brackets, not these ones, just before you. Would the panel members be interested in reflecting on the role of humility and self-evaluation in the professionals? Now, I mean, I pay a lot of money for this, <laughs> out of hours. <laughs> so all I was gonna say is, I mean, I'm not, fake. So I'll go first while you guys have time to think about what is a hard question. Um, the, um, I mean, self, I basically think self-evaluation is quite dangerous as a lifestyle choice. Um, but all I'm saying is, and in general, and I've made a lot of mistakes in the last 15 years in economic policy about thinking what would happen. So I'm definitely, and I regularly tell everyone to be humble about thinking they definitely know what's going to happen because I've learned from those experiences. I did not see interest rates staying near zero forever. They, um, uh, I definitely didn't see them coming up to 5% over the course of this year. Uh, but, you know, go and look at like last Thursday, we told the Treasury Select Committee almost exactly what was going to happen if we did this. So I'm basically rejecting any humility on the back of this week while accepting massive humility over the last two decades. Stephanie. You know, I find uh, there's a massive role for humility and self-evaluation in our household, but it's, more, it's normally that. other members of the household. Indeed, my partner, I feel there's enormous room Needs for more. humility Needs and self-evaluation that he just I keep trying to get him to do and he just won't do it. Do it. Um, but having obviously made, uh, you know, mistakes have been made um, in you know, lives very close to my own, um, professional or otherwise. I do think, going, going back to actually the point about how can you get politicians to face up to things, yeah. you know, the Conservatives have, have pulled off this remarkable trip of, having, of persuading people that there have been three governments since 2010. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there does come a point, and I swear this is not a party political point, but the only way you get politicians to fess up that they've really messed up is by changing the politicians to a different party. And I think you know, that has traditionally been, whether it's Conservatives to Labour or Labour to Conservatives, traditionally the way you get some kind of reckoning is by having an election. And I think um, now that we've moved quite a long way away from the manifesto, indeed rejecting quite a lot of the things in the manifesto which won this government uh, its majority, I think it potentially that is the only way you're going to really have a have have a prime minister sort of recognizing the mistakes of the past. You know, allow it, have it be a prime minister that's dumping on the predecessors. Very good, Robert. What's your therapy? Well, um, as uh, yeah, I think I think this question is probably aimed at me, given I now have my own version of chaos of stability with me and or chaos with Ed Miliband. In oh, right. um, I, I I tweeted. You know, I was I was ticking off the list of CPS policies during the um, oh, right, okay. during the state the statements, and um, lots of people have been chiming in to ask me how that's going. Um, I have muted that thread, by the way, so um, carry on to your heart's content. But I'm not reading it. Um, you know, um, so yeah, I, I I think you know, obviously you you have to reflect reflect on this stuff. But but you know, then, then two weeks ago we did probably something saying you know that the the that's priority for the Tories needs to be tax cuts for for working class voters because they're the ones who are suffering most and they're the ones who they're losing. And um, you know, we <laughs> that that, uh, that that obviously didn't happen. I mean, I you know, I'm I am extremely humble. I'm, 
on, on this stuff because I've been, you know, I've been as a journalist for 10 years. I've been in think tanks for five, five years. I know how rare it is that anything we say influences anything. And we try, you know, you try to push the boulder uphill. You try to give what you think are good ideas. And if they don't work out, you don't. Yeah, you need to work out, you need to acknowledge it. Um, the, the example I give from the furlough, from when the pandemic started, I and others were convinced the housing market was going to fall off a cliff. And that's why we, we thought a stamp duty cut was a really good idea because that's what had happened every other recession. And then that didn't happen. In fact, because everyone decided, oh, we need to, to move house and you've got this enormous frothy speculative bubble which will hope will potentially probably almost certainly be be unwound so like yeah you have to you absolutely have to think yeah I mean, you know that was that was we were wrong on that one but i i hope generally the most of the things we argue for are kind of quite well evidenced and you know quite good very good look you got some therapy out of all three of us the um and we don't even charge you for it which is more than i can say from the north london therapists around me who have seriously got need to be winful. It didn't best. sound like you were talking about <laughs> therapists earlier when you were talking about... Oh, yeah, that's true. All right, moving on. Right, look, can we uh, both thank our speakers for all their uh, insights today on the politics and the economics? There is, there is a lot going on. I hope, you've all, I hope we've explained some of it a bit more. The bad news is there is a lot more uh, to come, and we should all have a lot of humility in having certainty about what it will be. Let's find out, everyone. See you at a new event soon. Thank you for listening to this Resolution Foundation event. You can find more episodes and the latest living standards research on the Resolution Foundation website.